0: Welcome into Section 33, your favorite seat to listen to the latest from the sports world. I am your host, Sam Gillenwater, wishing you, I'm going to guess, either a happy Sunday, August 28th, or August 29th, the following Monday. I said in the last podcast during the college football kickoff episode that I wasn't really sure when I was going to be able to get this one out because I spent all day yesterday watching college football and enjoying the first week zero of the season. So I hope the rest of you all did too, and now I'm ready to focus in on some of the NBA offseason news from the last week. We're going to jump straight into it with Kevin Durant officially pulling his trade request from the Brooklyn Nets. So KD, at the end of June, had requested a trade from the Nets and has spent the last two months parading around, asking for roster changes, asking for coaching changes, asking for franchise changes because he didn't like it in Brooklyn anymore. Obviously, he has just signed a contract extension that will kick in this year that will take him over the next four years to remain in Brooklyn. Just in the last week, it was reported that the Grizzlies, the Bucks, and the Nuggets were all interested in KD, but then the following day or two, it was announced from Josiah and Steve Nash and the Nets organization that they would be retaining KD for this season and hopefully for the remainder of that contract extension. Another part of that is the Nets are also planning on keeping Kyrie Irving, so it looks like based on all the moves that they are focused on making, it is that they want to keep this core together for the time being. I've had a lot of thoughts about this, and at the end of the day, the Nets have had drama just for the sake of having drama. Whether it was Kyrie Irving saying everything under the sun about conspiracy theories and the vaccine and things of that nature and drawing unnecessary attention to himself both on and off the court whether it was ben simmons who got traded from philadelphia to brooklyn and it looked like he was going to be able to make a appearance in the eastern conference playoffs against the boston celtics and then he didn't it was a big issue it was a big concern it's a big question mark And he still has not played, still has not made an appearance, and we are not sure where he is at right now in his recovery. And then to top all that off, this mess with KD has essentially wrecked their offseason in the sense that I don't think players were necessarily big on joining the Nets. I know they were able to make some moves, whether it was trades and re-signings, but I don't think players were necessarily excited about coming to the Nets with the thought of KD, Kyrie, Ben... All these players, not really sure who would be there for the Nets if they were to sign. So, now I guess with all of that behind the franchise and with them focusing on this season, what is the Nets' outlook going forward? You have that big three, which I think when you do stack it up, they are three of the top 25 players in the NBA. Obviously, this has proven that they're also three of the most dramatic players in the NBA, all due respect. But when they are on the court, they are three of the greatest talents that this league has to offer. And then you pair that big three with Joe Harris, with Nick Claxton, Seth Curry, Patty Mills, T.J. Warren, Royce O'Neill, Cam Thomas. There are pieces, if players can just focus on what the objective is and on the season and on being on the court, there is no reason that this team should not be a top four seed in the East. There is no reason that they shouldn't have home court advantage come the Eastern Conference playoffs. It's frustrating because that's what this team should have been all along, from the very beginning when KD and Kyrie signed, to when they traded for James Harden, and to now with this addition of Ben Simmons, this franchise and this team has been expecting to be at that position all along, but instead, like I said, it has all been drama for the sake of drama I'm very interested to watch this experiment continue. I can't believe that it is getting to continue, but here we are, and KD, at this point, it looks like he will remain a Brooklyn Net. The second big piece of news, and it's it's incredibly unfortunate, Oklahoma City number two overall pick in the NBA draft, Chet Holmgren, will be out for the year. He suffered a ligament injury in his foot that he suffered during the crossover program, the one that featured LeBron James, Jason Tatum, Aaron Gordon, DeJounte Murray, Paulo, the whole nine. The game was shut down in the second quarter due to condensation on the court, but his injury had nothing to do with that. It was actually a play involving LeBron. Chet met him at the rim in transition, and he came down awkwardly funny, and you could see it kind of bothered him from the beginning. And at the end of the day, the game and the event was sanctioned by the NBA, so it's really not their fault. And I hope that this doesn't lead to people having a bad rap for programs in general. This could have happened in any context, in any workout, in anything that Chet did all summer, especially considering his body type, which I'm sure we'll get to in a minute. But it's frustrating to see, especially considering all the problems people had and the ideas that people had about Chet Holmgren and his body being NBA ready or not. I am fine if teams want to take a gamble on a player like a Chet Holmgren like a Zion Williamson because they're they're generational talents, they're unicorns when it comes to their body type, and they're really effective and efficient when they get on the floor because teams don't really understand how to guard them. But the fact of the matter is, these players have proven over and over and over again now, especially those two, that they can't stay on the floor. Zion has played 85 games in three years, and I know he just signed his max rookie extension, and I hope he plays a ton of it Because the Pelicans are capable of doing great things in the Western Conference. But they had to put in that clause where I think it was his weight and his body fat percentage could not equal more 295. Because the team has to protect themselves. Similarly to Chet. He is a long, athletic, freaky honestly kind of player. Long arm, shot blocker, yet he has a ton of guard skills. But he didn't even make it to training camp. I know he made it through the summer league and he showed those flashes, but he didn't even make it to training camp. And that is the problem with taking these players early, high, and hoping for the best and taking that risk. I can be bothered by it all I want and preach against it, but guess what? There's a dude who's the exact same size as Chet with Victor Wembanyama, who will be almost certainly drafted number one overall next year. So at that point, I'm just talking to nobody. The big issue is it's a massive setback for Oklahoma City. Oklahoma City was not going to be in the play-in. They were not going to make the playoffs. But they were at least going to attempt to be competitive. Like Shea Gildress-Alexander is a young star who could push for all-star contention. Lou Dort just got a new max contract extension. Josh Giddey should be back and healthy entering his second season. And when you add Chet to that, those are four really nice pieces for an NBA team to have. So, Oklahoma City was still going to be bad. Like, they were still going to finish below 500, I would imagine. But they could have at least changed it up a little bit and had a little bit of hope throughout the season. I think the last two years where they've really tanked and got Gideon Holmgren, they went like 46 and 108. And they were not going to be much better than that. But at the very least, they could have been interesting, exciting, something to talk about, and a team that you could look forward to in the future. But now they're in a position where you should just tank the season again they'll probably shut Shea and Lou Dort and probably Josh Giddy down halfway through the year tank for another high pick and hopefully in my opinion draft someone who's more NBA body ready than Chet they already have one player like that I hope they don't go for another but at the very least add a fifth piece to that young core it's really unfortunate for Oklahoma City and it's unfortunate for the league but It is what it is. Injuries happen all the time, except this one happened to a very exciting, intriguing prospect like Chet Holmgren. Welcome back into Section 33 for the second segment, where we are going to start off with some interesting news out of L.A. this week. So starting off, the LA Lakers were able to trade Taylon Horton Tucker and Stanley Johnson to the Utah Jazz for known NBA hothead Patrick Beverly. I like this move for LA in the sense that Patrick Beverly is a tone setter. You can argue whether he's a hothead or a distraction or even really a good player, whether offensively or defensively, that question has come up a ton over the years. But at the very least, he sets a tone. Everywhere he's been, from Houston to L.A. to Minnesota, and now with the L.A. Lakers, he brings an attitude. He brings a gritty, no-nonsense attitude that I think the Lakers were missing last season. LeBron James was the only player who looked like they had any interest in leading that team because Westbrook was doing his thing, Anthony Davis was hurt, half the players were too young and they were deferring to LeBron, and half the players were still hoping they could stay in the league. So I think this is the kind of move that hopefully gets LA kind of back into that conversation where they're not going to be in title contention by any means, like this move doesn't do that, but I'm really hoping that this sets a different tone for the Lakers as they enter training camp and hopefully try to have a better year. My problem with it, though, is the value of Taylor Horton Tucker. For the last two years, the Lakers were unbelievably bullish about this player. They wouldn't move him for anything. At the trade deadline, whether it was, uh, it wasn't last year, it was the year before, they had the opportunity to trade him for Kyle Lowry before he was able to go to the Miami Heat in free agency. Would you rather have Kyle Lowry right now or would you rather have Pat Bev? Like that right there is how you lose and you minimize stock. In the same sense, they've had deals on the table for Buddy Heald when Buddy Heald was in Sacramento. They had deals with potentially Indiana where they could have traded for Buddy Heald after he was moved there, as well as like a Miles Turner type player. And all these deals, Talon Horton Tucker was the hangup. Like They were convinced they wanted to ride with this young player And instead, they move him for Pat Bev. And all due respect to what Pat Bev can do for this team, to me, that is just the Lakers teaching a master class in how to minimize value as a whole. Taylor Horton Tucker is not a great NBA player. He's really not even a great prospect. But they swore by it. They swore by it. They built his stock. They had intrigue around him. At the end of the day, they just gave him away for essentially a box of scraps. And it just it's the problem with the franchise at the moment that the Lakers continue to shoot themselves in the foot in this sense. Now, what does this mean for the Lakers beyond on the court? And what I mean by that is Russell Westbrook. There was a report yesterday following the trade for Beverly that stated that if Beverly was now on the team, which he is, that would likely mean that Russell Westbrook's time in LA, his days are numbered there to say the least. This breakup has been a long time coming. It is in no way not going to be messy. It's going to be awkward because of the way Russ has handled himself in Los Angeles with LeBron James and with Anthony Davis. That big three did not work. He did not like what Frank Vogel was selling him, and he obviously must not like what the franchise and Darwin Ham are selling him. So what does this mean for Westbrook? I broke this down the other day, I look at it this way. There are four options for the LA Lakers, and they should go one through four. First off, you call Brooklyn one more time. You call the Brooklyn Nets one more time and offer Westbrook, picks, whatever the case may be, a young player, if you have one left, I don't even know who's left on the roster, that would be interesting, for Kyrie Irving. You try one more time. I know Brooklyn has said they want to retain Kyrie, but you just try one more chance at it. You give one more chance at it. Number two, you call these teams that the Lakers have been talking to as far as actually valuable players. So you trade Russ to Indiana, potentially for Buddy Heald and Miles Turner, as I was talking about a minute ago. Those are two players who fit perfectly into what the Lakers are doing. They don't have the ego of Russell Westbrook. The Pacers have the cap space to be able to retain him, and they're not going anywhere this season anyways. His contract comes off the books next year, and they have a clean slate to work with. It's a win-win for both teams. Third you find another tanking type team that will give you literally anything whether that's San Antonio whether that's Oklahoma City whether that's Utah whether that's Houston you just beg at this point one of those teams to use their cap space for this one season and retain Russell Westbrook and hopefully they give you something back that you can actually use and that will actually fit onto your roster. And in fourth, and I, I really hope it doesn't come to this, but I really think it's headed that direction, is that Russell Westbrook gets sent home. So in that same report, talking about Westbrook not wanting to be in L.A. anymore, it was stated that Westbrook may get John Wald and get just sent home and just not be with the team. The Lakers get no value for him, and they wait for his contract to expire. The only reason that I don't want to see that happen is because I am convinced that if that happens russell westbrook will be done he has shown over the last year that he is not interested in being anything but a starting point guard he has shown over the last year that he does not have the same mental game with the mental errors and the mistakes he has shown he doesn't have the same athleticism he's never had the jump shooting or the skill set in what succeeds in this nba but even last year they were worse than normal I have never seen so many jumpers go off the backboard and not touch rim. I really don't want to see it happen to Russ because it was hard to see it happen to John Wall for the last two years. It was hard when Carmelo Anthony, it happened to him for a couple years. But these players who have these egos that don't want to fit a team mindset and fit a team role, these superstars who don't want to let go of their stardom, that are aging and cannot play the same level anymore... Russ is almost the biggest proponent of that. He is almost the ideal player who this was always going to happen to, unfortunately. He's a former league MVP, and I don't want to see it happen. I would prefer to see Russell Westbrook last as long as possible, but if he wants to go out the Allen Iverson way, by all means. It's unfortunate, but by all means. Leading from there into this next potential trade buzz is the continuing building trade buzz surrounding Donovan Mitchell and the Utah Jazz to several teams across the league. So, the latest buzz out of the New York Knicks camp is that they offered Evan Fournier, Obi Toppin, and five picks. I don't have clarification of whether that's five total first round picks, whether that's three first rounds, two second rounds, whatever the case may be. New York, if you're serious about getting Donovan Mitchell, will you please put up a big boy offer? Will you please put up an offer that is worth Donovan Mitchell? He's not a superstar. He is a young star player, but you're giving them a shooting card that you don't even want. Obi Toppin, who's a good player, but a bench guy for you all, and a handful of first-round picks. Danny Ainge is smarter than that out in Utah. If you all don't believe in R.J. Barrett, and that's the thing that I keep coming back to, is that R.J. Barrett is a player that the Knicks franchise doesn't seem to believe in, that the Knicks fan base doesn't seem to believe in. Why is he the hangup? In this, Like, R.J. Barrett should be on the table. That is equal value at this point for a player like Donovan Mitchell, and if you build around that, great. You build around R.J. Barrett with for a package of, of picks, maybe another nice young player, but Donovan Mitchell is worth it for a team like the Knicks in a big market who has not had a star player of Mitchell's caliber in past seasons. Some other teams that were potentially involved, whether they are or not now, the Atlanta Hawks, the Miami Heat, and the Sacramento Kings are no longer interested, while the Cleveland Cavaliers, Washington Wizards, Charlotte Hornets, L.A. Lakers, and Brooklyn Nets are all interested at this point. I don't see how the Wizards get there unless they give up Bradley Beal, and at that point you're just swapping players. It cancels out, so I don't really know why they would go for it. Hornets, they've had an awful offseason, but I don't see any way that that works out. They don't see anything that the Hornets have besides LaMelo Ball that would even be interesting to the Jazz unless they include picks they could throw in Gordon Hayward's contract and maybe a couple of the young players that haven't really worked out just yet but again I don't really see that happening just yet and of course the Lakers and Nets are involved because who aren't they involved with at this point the one that's interesting to me is the Cavaliers the Cleveland Cavaliers have a bunch of young stars between Darius Garland Evan Mobley Jared Allen Karis Levert Isaac Okoro, Colin Sexton. They're a young group that has some veteran leadership, but it's essentially a young core. And they're a star score, I think, away from being a decent team out east. And so they filled that spot in when Colin Sexton went out and filled it with Karis Lavert. And it was good. It was decent. They were a playing team that didn't make it out of the play but it was better than what people expected out of Cleveland this year. I think Donovan Mitchell fits in perfectly to what the Cavs are doing with Darius as the distributor Evan Mobley and Jared Allen as the the lob threats and the defensive anchors down low and that leads Donovan Mitchell to score his 25 points per game his 20 points per game whatever the case may be and just let it rip if any other team besides New York were to win this race I would be very interested to see the Cleveland Cavaliers get into it and potentially win it Welcome back into section 33 for the final segment where we're going to talk about a player that we mentioned in briefly earlier with Zion Williamson. So it was announced earlier this week that although, like I said, he has only played 85 games in the last three years, Zion will be back for the Pelicans opening night against the Brooklyn Nets. He's coming off. Like I said, that rookie max extension five years, $193 million with that weight and body fat clause included. As of now, I want to be respectful, but as of now, Zion Williamson is a player that is all hype and no production. That sounds incredibly harsh to say about an all-star who has averaged 25.7 points, 7 boards on 60.4% shooting over his career, over those 85 games. But the only problem is it's those games missed. It is not exactly a great career outlook to over the course of 3 years Miss a majority of the first one, play all the second one and be named an All-Star, and then miss the entire third, and there not be really any answer as to whether you can physically stay healthy with your body. It looked even worse, considering the Pelicans were in the playoffs, they were pushing the one-seed Suns, and they were just a superstar away. Like Brandon Ingram and CJ McCollum and their ragtag group of Herb Jones and Jose Alvarado and those players were pushing the one seed, and they were a superstar away from probably getting that job done. But the flip side is, if Zion were to come back and prove that his legs and his body can take the beating of an 82-game schedule and make it to the playoffs, I really like what the Pelicans could potentially do heading into future seasons. I want to give Zion a fair shot. I was not a fan of Zion coming out of Duke, not because he was from Duke, but because every time I turned on the TV and still turn on the TV, I see Zion Williamson, and I see a player who could take over this league with his style of play. It's so different from everybody else. Everyone wants to shoot threes and play make and play on the perimeter. Zion's a big-body, borderline, new-age Charles Barkley-type player who could dominate this league down low but he has to be able to stay out on the floor and I really hope he finds a way to do it or else these conversations and these questions are going to persist for him moving forward. That's it for section 33 today. Like I said, I'm very excited for college football, but with the NBA offseason kind of winding down, these last rumors coming in, basketball is where my heart is if I'm being honest and I'm very excited for this NBA season and this college basketball season to really get ramped up along with college football and the NFL naturally. Thank you all for giving this a listen. Again, I appreciate it. Like, subscribe, continue to follow the show, support the show, and I will churn out more and more content as much as possible for you all moving forward. Have a great rest of the day. Thank you for listening, and we will see you in the next one.